All right, welcome in a Monday Locked On Syracuse podcast after a big win, a 23-point win over Louisville. Things are starting to look up for Syracuse basketball. We will discuss another big game for Jesse Edwards. The bench struggling again when it was out there, although it was out there for limited time. And just how crazy is NCAA tournament talk this time of year in Syracuse? Just how far behind are the cues from going into the NCAA tournament conversation? All that coming up on the Monday podcast. You are locked on Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome on in and thank you for making us your first listen every single weekday here with you guys Monday through Friday, whether you are listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And Bet Online had, I think, a seven point spread for Syracuse, yep. minus seven. And there, mm-hmm. there was some chatter before the game. Oh, man, that's kind of a hefty line. You and I were both on Louisville, and we were both wrong and happily yep. wrong because Syracuse brought it, and Louisville maybe rolled over a little bit in the second half. But a 23 point win was very encouraging to see with Pete Davidson in the house there. I'm, I mean, I'm all for. Just Weitzman's <laughs> guests are 2-0 and now. Just keep bringing the Weitzman guests. Maybe someone who doesn't trash Syracuse, but still, uh, bring them on. I was going to say, it was a nice little reprieve for me because I think he has reclaimed the most hated person among the Syracuse <laughs> fan base. He took the mantle from me, Tim. So <laughs> it was nice to have that this little weekend off where I didn't have to catch all the shade from uh, another record-breaking attendance yeah. outing as well. So kudos to the Syracuse fans for showing up. But... Yeah, I mean, it's cool to have Pete Davidson. It's cool to have Giannis. But, like, can we get a five-star football player? Can we get, like, a, even a, a four-star quarterback, something of that nature, in the dome for one of these games? Like, th- that's what we want to see. That's what right. we want Adam Weitzman to bring to the dome. They're very random guests so far this year. And this yeah. one the came Giannis, out of the blue. Giannis didn't make sense. This, I think, made a little more sense because I think he was doing a show in Rochester that night. Okay. So that – yeah. Makes sense. You bring Pete Davidson in, but he left at what halftime? I believe it was. Oh, did he? I didn't even see I think, that. I think he well. left at like halftime. People were were giving him crap for that, but I love the hat he was wearing. It was like one of those big, yeah. um, like like almost hunting hats. Like he, he looked a little right. Elmer Fuddish with it, but uh, well, he's wearing was, uh, shades too indoors yeah, yeah. in the dome. <laughs> which I guess you you got to be a certain level of cool to pull that off mm-hmm. if you're Pete. Hey, Davidson it's that there. it's that uh, the glass roof now, so the sun comes in. Sure, right. I'm sure that's what he was planning on, or that's why he went with the shades. But hey, Judah Mintz is coming for the Duke game. That was announced. The official visit is scheduled for that. So that's a four star that's going to be there for a big mm-hmm. Duke environment. But let's talk about this game and. I think we have to start with Jesse Edwards. I know Buddy scored 19 points as well, and he jumps to second in the all-time three-pointers made at Syracuse list. He leapfrogs, I believe, Andy Rowdens to get just behind Jerry McNamara. It doesn't look like he's going to catch G-Mac, who has 400 made threes. Buddy's now at 283, but still a cool sort of record-breaking thing for him. But Jesse Edwards also has 19 points, and they keep designing more plays for him. And he keeps delivering nine for 11 in this game. He's leading the ACC right now in field goal percentage, shooting right around 70%. He's been fantastic. I mean, the strides that he has made, and really it's a team effort. I tweeted this during the game. Like, 
Jesse deserves a ton of credit for what he's done from a footwork standpoint, from a finishing standpoint, because there's stuff in his arsenal this year that we did not see last year. We didn't even see signs of it last year on the offensive side. Like if you told us last year, what was Jesse Edwards strength going to be as a basketball player for this team? I think our first two answers would have been in some order defense rebounding. And then we get into scoring it's scoring. And now it's, it's yeah. Defense and then rebounding. Those are my one, two, three in terms of his attributes and what he has done. He deserves a ton of credit for, but I think this team really helps him out too with the spacing it provides. I mean, how many times do you see him as a free roller with no one in front of him on a roll to the basket for an easy dunk? How many times do you see him get a one-on-one matchup? And in this case, Louisville was throwing you and I out there against him. I know they were like guys that were like six foot that were guarding Jesse Edwards at times. It felt like, but you get those mouse in the house sort of moments and he's certainly taken advantage of them this year. And that is a beautiful thing to see for his development. It's, it's great. It it is refreshing to see Jesse Edwards go up there as one of the team's leading scorers night in and night out. It's just something that we could have never predicted heading into this season. We talk about it a lot, how Syracuse's offense is not complex and Jim Beheim will admit as much. That's his style. He likes it free flowing and their offense in this game was pretty simple. It was send Jesse out for a high pick and roll. He's going to roll and he's going to get a six, six, one guy on him and Joe Girard's going to find him. And if Joe Girard can't get it into him on an entry pass, they'll give it to Jimmy Beheim and Jimmy will get it into him. And it sounds so simple, but it was working Louisville. I was surprised. I thought that they were maybe sort of rounding a corner post Chris Mack leaving, and you can make a case that they were coming off two pretty good performances. They just didn't have much talent on that roster. And that's not to take away from Syracuse. I think the storyline is Syracuse is trending in the right direction, and they played a really solid game on both ends here for really the third straight game. But it felt like JV versus varsity at times watching Louisville try to guard Jesse Edwards. And that's a couple games in a row now where Syracuse is using their center as a weapon, using him in the pick and roll. There were so many years recently where Barama Sidibe comes out or Pascal Chukwu comes out and they're not even looked at as the roller guy. And now Jesse, they're not in the offensive scout, right? One bit. And now it's, it's great to see that Jesse is legit blossoming into one of the better centers i think in the conference definitely in the top six seven in the conference right now i would say top three for sure well i think so i was thinking like all acc i don't think he's quite in that conversation because you got baycott mark williams Mm -hmm. keve aluma probably as the top three big men if you but i would even put jesse above like an aluma like when you look at what virginia tech's done so far this season i mean i i think baycott and Mark Williams certainly are going to get it. And maybe Aluma gets the love just because he was getting the preseason love too. But like what Jesse's done, how important he is on both ends. You look at the blocking numbers, you look at the the scoring numbers too. Like it's tough to argue with what he's done. I think the, the interesting conversation from an awards perspective is, is he going to win most improved? And I've got a list of a couple guys here that I would throw in the most improved category um, for, for this season in the ACC. Jesse, uh, you have to throw in Darion Sebron and what yeah. he has done at NC State. I think he's probably going to be the guy that ends up getting it, which yep. is going to frustrate some Syracuse fans. But like the guy's averaging 18 and nine right now. And he averaged as a five wing. last year. Right. Sebron's I mean, taking a big step. Yeah. yeah. And then Mark Williams and John Hughley from Pitt. So just Jesse being in that conversation, though, is important 
Because if you had to pick a guy who would be in that conversation from Syracuse for this year, you probably would have picked at the beginning of the season, someone like Joe Girard, probably not Jesse Edwards, not to say that Jesse wasn't going to take a step, but this isn't a step. This is a leap. Yeah, I do think he was picked to be a guy that would take a leap, but he's taken a leap bigger than we thought. I would also throw probably PJ Hall in that mix of yep, that's fair. most improved guys, the Clemson center or Clemson big who played pretty well against Syracuse, but to me, he's definitely in the second tier of ACC centers. I think if you're picking a fantasy draft right now, you're starting from scratch and you get a list of ACC centers. Who do you want on your team? Just for one game, we'll say, not like projecting the future. I think it's Baycott Williams. Then there's another tier and Aluma probably heads that tier. And then there's Jesse Edwards, PJ Hall. I guess you could throw in Jaden Gardner, John Hughley. Paul Atkinson. There's a group of guys there that I think he is firmly right there with. And we can't say that about another Syracuse center since Rakeem Christmas, that they would be that high up in the conference pecking order of that position. Right. And one thing that's sort of important too, when evaluating all this, and, and this really applies for all centers, but you almost wonder what things would be like if he could stay out of foul trouble a little more, would you see some of those counting statistics go up a little bit? Like the block numbers are great for however many minutes he plays per game right now, but would you see an improved scoring number? Would you see an improved rebounding number? And this was a, a really positive step for Jesse in this game. He only picked up one foul. Now he only played, I think it was like 25, 26 minutes in the game, but for him to go out there and pick up one foul over the duration of his time out there, that is a positive step. And for him that's the next sort of key to his development is staying on the floor because if he can become a guy that plays 35 minutes and look out, he will be a guy that's going to be all ACC. And with some of the guys that you can project to leave next season, like it would not, it, he should be a preseason all ACC guy next year. Yeah, I think he could be, he needs to take a step up in terms of physicality and toughness, I think, and becoming a vocal leader of the team. But right now, when you put him up against a team like Louisville, NC State, that don't really have a guy that's physical or size to match because Manny Bates is out, Jesse's going to get points, and he's going to do it at an efficient rate. And if he stays on the court, he's going to be a factor on the defensive end as well. He's 29th in the nation in offensive rating on Ken Palm, and he's 10th in the nation in block rate. So he's doing it on both ends right now. Yeah, he, he's become a really well-rounded player, and this is not the Jesse Edwards we thought we were getting this year. He deserves a ton of credit. So does Coach Griff for developing him into the player that he is. I mean, talk about the last year and a half for Coach Griff. We're taking, like, there's no way to, like, grade out coaches, really. Um, but you look at some of the things that Griff did with recruiting stuff and as well as some stuff with uh, what he's done with Jesse Edwards. Like, Griff's trending way up with what he's done to build the guy that Jesse Edwards has become. Yeah. And Frank Anselm had a nice game. We'll talk yeah. about that in just a second in the bench and their production in this game, whether we're concerned about the bench minutes going forward, that type of conversations coming up. Bet online has you covered this season though, with more props, odds and lines than ever before as football continues. It's March through the playoffs right to the big game. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. BetOnline, where the game starts. 
also want to remind you guys that it is Super Week now, brought to you by Get Upside, and there's no better place to get coverage of the big game than the Locked On NFL podcast. Locked On Bengals and Locked On Rams are live in L.A. all week covering the big game. So the bench in this game, sort of similar to the last game, not a whole lot of success, not a whole lot of minutes. The starters are doing their thing, and I'm not really that upset with Jim Beheim not dipping more into the bench. I guess when the game got out of hand, you could nitpick, or oh, why didn't Benny play some more minutes here or there? But I guess we can start with Benny because, to me, this was not a step backwards, but it was an opportunity again when he got in the game to maybe show something. And once again, he's not really playing that great when he is in the game. And our conversation all along has not been hyping up Benny for getting more minutes because we think he's been great to this point and he's being underutilized because of that. But more so, we just want to see him make strides. And it's a little discouraging because I feel like, you know, he goes 0 for 4 from the floor in this game. He's 0 for 1 from 3. His shot just looks very flat. There's not a lot of arc to it still. And I know he's definitely working on it. But I feel like there was a point sort of at the start of ACC season when I was at that Wake Forest game in particular, I, I remember thinking, man, he's he's taken a step up. He played 24 minutes in that game. He played in overtime. He hit some jumpers on the road against a good team. Now I feel like he's sort of trending down again, which is discouraging. So he had the one really nice pass to Anselm in this game that set up a really good dunk. And that to me was the highlight. That was the flash. And that's one of the things that we've talked about on this show is one of his underrated qualities, his ability to be a facilitator. But the glaring number is and will be the rest of the season is the field goal percentage. And then you look at the 0 for 4 in this game and he ends up with three points for the contest and it's all coming at the free throw line. It's good to see that he's getting to the free throw line, right? That shows that you're attacking a little bit. But... The problem here is, yeah, he's got to start hitting these shots at some point. And you're right, it is a little flat. But you could also kind of look at it as how many times has he shot the ball and the ball's halfway down and then spins out. Yep. That's yeah, happened a bad good breaks. amount. But that, again, is partly because of a flat shot. If he has a little more arc on that, it's probably going in. Um, so if he can switch some of these results, these 50-50 sort of makes shots that he takes, and they start falling from I think they will at a certain point. That's why long-term I'm not necessarily worried, but you're right. Like this was an opportunity for him to take a stride and at best you could say he stagnated, but more realistically, you could say that he he did not take a step. He took a step backward in this game. And that's frustrating because he was given an extended stretch in that second half when things were really out of hand. I think it started at about the eight or nine minute mark. I want to say where he was kind of given the Liberty to, to go out there and pretty much play. And they were trying to run the offense through him too. They yeah. were giving him the ball. He was getting the first touch out of the guard's hands. And that is, that's what you want to see that like, that is the development plan and the confidence building that he needs. But if he's not going to go out and take advantage of these opportunities, then you start to scratch your head a little bit. Yeah. I just feel like we're not seeing a progressive incline in his game. No. Like I hoped, you know, it and it's also tough to judge because he's not playing a ton of minutes, but I also, hear Jim Beheim a little bit post game when he's saying, you know, our starters are playing good. And like in this game, for example, they're up 17 at the half. And when the bench players played in the first half, they entered the locker rooms at the end of the first half with a negative plus minus the bench crew, but they still led by 17. So that tells you, I'm not saying plus minus is everything. And I know mm -hmm. Jim Beheim doesn't think that either, but it tells you that our worst portion of the first half is when we use the bench. 
Now they're only out there for a little bit of time and Benny can't really get into a flow. You can make that argument, but also how much time are you going to give him? And it, it seems like he is just struggling to be aggressive. And we're still seeing the same things we talked about in the non-conference portion, where if you're not making shots at that position, it's tough to impact when he's a spot up shooter, basically in the offense and they have other playmakers on the offense. So it's not a good situation for him right now, and I feel like he has sort of stagnated. Right. It's You just thought it would be better. And the thing is, is you look at some of the other bench pieces that came in in this game. Frank goes two for two from the field with a couple nice dunks. Samir two for two from the field. I mean, those guys shouldn't be scoring more points than Benny Williams. And at this point in the season, if you had to, if we were to do the prop shop for leading bench score, Benny would be last in the odds of the, yeah. the three that actually play. Uh, John Bull got a little run in this game too, but of the three that actually play in pretty much every single game, you'd have to put Benny last from an odds standpoint. And it would have cashed if you picked him last in pretty much every single game too. Yeah. To me, it's just getting a little bit tougher and tougher to argue for a lot of Benny minutes because the team is trending up and I'm not, we'll get into the turning conversation in a second. It's still far off from that. No doubt. But mm -hmm. The more closer you are to the tournament conversation, less appeal, in my opinion, there is for, all right, the season's lost. Let's just play Benny to play Benny and keep him happy. And then also his, his performance on the court the past couple of games just hasn't been great, but we don't, we're not at practice. We don't know what's going on there. It's just, it's getting tougher to see a case for him to play 20, 25 minutes in it's interesting how Beheim post game, he goes after Donna DeToto a little bit because she said something like Joe was bad at Pittsburgh. He's been pretty good the last three games and Beheim cut her off and said, pretty good. He's been great. Like that's the problem with all you people in the media is, you know, you're calling it pretty good when he has outstanding stats for three or four games in a row. And he's attacking people for their criticism over Joe Girard. And I do think that there's something to when Joe Girard does something bad, everyone's going to point it out when Benny does something bad right now, it's more on Jim Beheim, not Benny. And it's tough. I mean, I'm not saying Benny shouldn't be playing. And, and it, again, it falls back into the conversation of if he was playing more minutes, maybe we wouldn't be at this stage with them. And maybe that's part of the problem, but where we are right now, the way Benny's playing, it feels like we're just sort of reaching for, little flash moments to make the case for him to be playing more minutes. Right. And it's at the point in the season now where those flash moments should be building towards consistency and right. we're not seeing consistency at this point, but it is no worth noting here. The, the bench is going to be critical in about what, what's yep. today? Today's the bench is going to start to be critical in a little less than two weeks now because, and you've got a chance to develop it here. Okay. You've got Boston college coming up tomorrow. Then you've got Virginia Tech this weekend. Then you got a whole week off until you get BC on at home on, on Saturday. And, and that's the 19th right there. And then you've got Georgia Tech quick turnaround on that Monday. So there in and of itself are four, I'll say three games where you should win by a decent margin. At least if you're playing yeah. the way that you're playing right now, you should win those games to allow yourself to develop the bench. But once that, B, that second BC game hits, that starts the five games in 10 days stretch. Bench is going to be critical. If you cannot get bench production, you will not win the bulk of those five games. You will go one and four in that five game stretch if you're not getting bench production because you're going to have some tired legs, especially in the back half of that stretch when you've got Notre Dame, Duke, and North Carolina to kind of round right. things out. And those are three teams that are playing like some of the best teams right now 
in the conference. So you've got to figure some things out with this bench because you can't have Buddy go out there and play 40 minutes a night for all five of those games. You can't have Jimmy and Cole and all those guys playing 40 minutes a game. You're going to need Samir. You're going to need Frank. And you're going to need Benny to give you something on both ends of the floor if you're going to have any sort of success during that five-game stretch. No, that's a great point because you're going to be able to win games against Louisville at home against NC State on the road by your starters doing a bulk of it. But especially once you consider Duke's a little bit more physical, they're going to pressure more. Symir, it felt like, was really trending up before the injury. It'd be great if before that tough stretch, if those games do matter and Syracuse continues to win the games they should to that point, and then you get into a conversation of, all right, it's time to pick off some quad one wins. That's where you really need the bench when you're playing a lot of games in that short amount of time, and Symir is maybe more needed when Joe is going up against a tough defense and so on and so forth. So, so they the had a five... Five game in 10 days, five game in 11 day stretch earlier this season. It was starting with the Colgate loss, then the trip to Atlantis, and then capped off with the win against Indiana. Like, think about some of those games. You went two and three in that stretch, first off. All right. But the Indiana game, you won that because you got some great bench contributions in a double overtime game. Like, think about what Frank did in the overtimes for that game. You're going to need those sort of performances if you're going to have success. You can't afford to go two and three in that five-game stretch if you want to even dream about the tournament at this yeah. point. You're going to need to go three and two with a really solid win in there or four and one. You're going to have to. Right. We'll get into the tourney conversation, and I do think it's worth noting that remembering back on that Auburn game, three of three games – in three days, Auburn wow. beat them because they were better, but also they looked tired in that game. And you don't want them to look tired on the road at Notre Dame, home against Miami at the end of the year and in some of those big games. But let's dive into the tourney conversation in just a second. Just how crazy is it that Syracuse could maybe work their way back into the NCAA tournament? First, want to tell you guys about Built Bar because this is a time of year that I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. And have you tried the Built Bar Puffs? If you haven't yet, you're missing out on one of the best Built Bars out there, one of the best tasting bars. The Puffs are first-ever protein-infused marshmallowy. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're a treat, and they're covered in 100%. Real chocolate. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. The Puffs included. That's why they taste great, but they're somehow still good for you. Low calorie, high protein. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. So go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. So the tourney conversation, which is definitely still premature and crazy, but I texted you something. I think we're, we have a chat, me, you, and Matthew Gutierrez used to write about Syracuse basketball over at The Athletic right before this game. And I was bummed because I forgot to say it on the podcast on Friday, of course. So mm -hmm. now I look like I'm well, just We've got receipts. Up. We've got fun I, receipts. You have the receipt, but, you know, people might still think we're just making it up. But I was like, you know, I, I, I see a seven-game winning streak. I think this is going to happen here. They've been trending well. This Louisville game was one of the tougher games. They blow them out at home. Maybe it wasn't. I mean, it's definitely not the toughest. The toughest is coming up this Saturday on the road at Virginia Tech.
But I definitely see the seven-game winning streak, and it goes back to what we were saying. They're a golfer that's in 50th place, but they don't have much to play for right now, so they're going to play well when they have less pressure. The question is, if they do go on the seven-game winning streak, which is still a big F, and you have to take it one game at a time, of course, but I could see it happening. If that happens, are they then back in the NCAA tournament conversation? I think they might be in the conversation, but they're still well outside the bubble considering how poor the ACC is this year. So if they were to pick off these next four games, which would culminate in the seven-game winning streak like you've talked about here, that would make you 10-6 and six in the conference. And I know the ACC is bad, but when you're 10-6 and six in a power conference, that's impressive. Now, you're going to have to bolster your resume because at the end of the day, resume still matters. And of these next couple of games, I, I believe only Virginia Tech would be a quad one victory yep. if that even is. Uh, so I'd have to... No, it would be quad one. I was looking at it today. So you would you'd have to... You're going to have to... Like, listen, these four games are important and you're going to need them, but the four games after that are far more important, which is, it's tough, like, because if you lose one of these games, yeah, you're really hurting yourself. You're shooting yourself in the foot, but they're winnable, and they feel more attainable, so maybe that's why you're you're drawn to it as this seven-game winning streak, but at the end of the day, like, the you need to probably go three and one with the back-end four to really become a true tournament contender. Back four being Notre Dame, Duke, Carolina, and Miami. So those are the four more important games on the schedule. But these four games right here, you at least have a chance to pad yourself up and quote unquote empty calorie games, if you will. Right. Like they're wins at the end of the day, but they don't carry a whole heck of a lot of weight. Now that Virginia tech game probably does, but I wouldn't say that's a gimme either. So like the, the BCs, the Georgia techs, you should win those games. You should. And if you don't, then this conversation's moot, but it's just those back end four are way more important than the next four in terms of a tournament perspective. So they're 85th in the net rankings right now. But the thing is, if you're a bubble team, you either have to have one of two things going for you. You have to be able to say, we don't have any bad losses or we have some big quality wins. And Syracuse doesn't have either of those right now. They're 0 and 5 in quad one. Four and one in quad two solid, but they're four and five in quad three. And they have a hundred points allowed to Colgate. They have Georgetown, which was on the road. So it's a quad three loss, but Georgetown's looked worse and worse as games have passed here. Your quad one chances remaining are at Virginia Tech Saturday, at Notre Dame, who's 61st in the net right now, Duke at home, at North Carolina. Florida State's 83rd in the net. Maybe they work their way inside the top 75 in that Yeah, you're rooting for Florida State. One. You're rooting for Florida State. You're rooting for Indiana. Those are your yeah, two Indiana's wins. Yeah, Indiana's 33rd. You got really to so, really start rooting for those teams. So if Indiana gets inside the top 25, then that's a quad one win. But just last year, only two teams made the tournament with just one quad one victory. One of them was Syracuse, and the other was Drake. So I would say you got to get to three, four quad one wins in this ACC and knowing that you have three of the worst losses you've had in recent years when you consider Colgate, the Georgetown loss, and Pittsburgh on the road. Those are three Mm -hmm. outside of 150 Ken Palm teams. I mean, you can't really have those and not have marquee wins. So they're still a long ways off, but it's not totally inconceivable i guess i mean bart torvik right now gives him a six percent chance that's about what i would say of making yeah. the ncaa tournament i think there's one other sort of factor that you can have 
as well. You laid out the no bad losses or some good banner wins too. I think the third sort of part of the equation that you can factor in is what are you playing like in February and, and March mm -hmm. too? And that right now, Syracuse is passing with flying colors. You can say, oh, well, like uh, Wake Forest and NC State and Louisville, like how much, but you're at least blowing some of these teams out too. Like you're playing really good basketball and Wake Forest is probably at the end of the day going to be a tournament team, but you need to play well all of February. And I just don't think that's feasible right now with that stretch that we've talked about. Like that is a doomsday stretch for these kids. Five games in 10 days. I mean, we saw how it played out a little bit earlier this year. So especially when you're getting that, like you, they played that in November when you should be at your freshest. Now you're going to play it in February, like for five of your final six games of the regular season. Like it's a lot to ask, a lot to yeah. ask for, for a team like this. That already plays pretty shorthanded when we talk about the bench. I put it this way. Will this be the last time we talk about the NCAA tournament on this podcast? I would say no. I think they do go on to win the next four games and have a seven-game winning streak. That would be my prediction. And then there is a good amount of hype as you enter that tough stretch. And there is some realistic talk of, well, if you keep it up, because we've seen this team play better, and Cole Swider's coming into his form, and Jesse Edwards is playing well, and you know, maybe they could get into it. But I say all that, and I also say that if I were to pick right now, I really am. It's very, very unlikely that this team makes the incident. Like 5% yeah. chance, I think, is right around what I would say. Bart Torvik having it at six. They are running the simulations based on the remaining schedule. They're running everyone else's remaining schedule. The ACC is just really bad. And that's why when you went at Florida State at the start of the year, you thought, man, that's a quad one win in our bag right now we have that you don't have that and then you lose to florida state at home that's a quad three loss in other years that's not the case so that's what we've been saying all along when we went back to the non-conference schedule and we talked about how man they've dug a hole here it's especially deep because the acc being bad actually hurts you more than people are willing to admit i think yeah at the end of the day i think the acc gets four to five into the tournament um, and we'll see what name brand recognition holds this year too, because that that's another thing like Syracuse has probably gotten in a couple of these times because of who they are as a program, what they've built up as a program. And at the end of the day, like you're going to be able to hold that card over. Let's say it comes down to, um, I know Anthony DeBundo is going to kill me for this, but let's say it, the tournament committee has to pick between Syracuse and Wyoming. Like hmm. we know who they're going to pick, right? It, it's not rocket science. They're going to pick Syracuse because they want eyes. And Syracuse brings eyes. Wyoming doesn't. So, um, I, I, yeah, I'm with you. It's like 5% for me right now of them getting in. But let's say they do go on this four-game winning streak or to, to equate it out to seven games. So they yeah. win their next four. They're out to seven. What would you put your number at then? Then you're probably looking at 30% or 25. 30? But I mean, wow. Well, maybe that's too high. Because really, you're all, all you're doing is beating Virginia Tech on the road at that right. point. Yeah, right? that, that's why I would... I'd be hesitant to push it past 10 if you did that because you, at the end of the day, the, the next four after that are what's going to matter. If you can win yeah. those games, Th those are going to be wins that are yeah, actually good right. wins. I would so. say 15, 20% will be my revised number there because okay. it's, I mean, Georgia Tech, BC, BC, that should be wins. And yeah. they should be Especially with the way you're playing frankly. right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Listen, so. If, 
this team's playing well right now. You can't like if you if we were to take a three game sample right now, like right now, is this team playing like a tournament team? Yes, they are. But you've just banked up so many bad losses along the way and haven't had the quality wins. But if you're looking at a three game sample, yeah, the three game sample that you have provided the last three games is tournament caliber basketball. It's just a shame that the 20 prior to that haven't been a lot of tournament caliber basketball games played. Yeah, and I don't even know if I would confidently say it is because you could make a case that Louisville's down in the dumps. Is that I mean they blew out teams, so that is impressive. They've blown out teams, yeah. They've blown out teams. But, I think Wake is a solid team too, and you blew the doors off of them. Right. Yeah. Wake is the most impressive win they've had of the three by far. The last oh, yeah. two mm-hmm. last two were solid wins, yeah. but you were projected to beat Louisville by seven points. Like part of you should just be doing the things they're doing as like going, but I think the... going out and beating them by 23, the game was literally never. Yeah, in they crushed them. No like we talk about this in the preseason or like the, the non-conference games against some of the cupcake teams, like leave no doubt for 40 minutes. You did that against Louisville. You left no doubt for 40 minutes. Those are impressive wins. Um, and NC state was a game that Ken Palm projected you to lose too. So yeah, you flipped the I result. What will be interesting is can they prove that they can win against a good defensive team and win on the road as well? That's where they will they'll take a leap, in my opinion, compared to what they've been. Because we've seen them play well in games when it's an offensive shootout. Now I want to see, all right, at Virginia Tech Saturday, that's a game you, you maybe should win. And the way they're playing, I think they will win that game. But that would be proving something different to me. So anyway, yeah. that's kind of where they're at in the tourney conversation right now. We'll put a pin in that. I'm sure we'll talk some more you about it. get into it a week. little bit more? Let's do it a little more tomorrow. Let, let's. Yeah, why like, not? I, I mean, here's, here's, they lose to BC, exercise. we can't do it the rest of the right, year. Exactly. So. <laughs> so I see four losses projected by Ken Palm the rest of the way. We'll rank the winnability of them. All right. We can do that in tomorrow's show. We'll get you ready for BC as well. Any other recruiting news that comes up? I know Isaiah Johnson, who is a football target, transfer portal target at the defensive back position is making his decision here on monday we haven't heard that decision yet but maybe we'll touch on that a little bit throughout the week as well we're here with you guys every single weekday so we're keeping you up to date on syracuse news subscribe now if you haven't already also subscribe to the youtube page if you haven't done that and we'll talk to you guys on tuesday